Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the Just and the Suffering podcast, featuring New York sports star from a long-suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. Got a good show for you this week. We haven't talked baseball a little bit besides the Mets, but we are going to check in with our baseball beat. Anthony Sarbellini here. We are going to break down what the playoff picture looks like with two weeks to go in the regular season. Does not look look like the Mets will make it there. The Yankees are going. We'll talk about what both teams are dealing with the last few weeks. Look ahead to the Yankees. Set the playoff picture. Revisit our preseason predictions. Make some new ones. A lot of fun with the baseball beat today. Also going to do some week three NFL picks with Martino Puccio, the noted Jets fan. We will talk about the Jet Brown game there. We are going to make some picks. I went 2-1 and one last week. Hopefully to keep the momentum going in the weeks ahead. Be sure you're locked in until the end of the show for this week's two-minute drill, where I'm going to recap the latest 30 for 30 film, Rodman for better or worse. I thought it was a very good entry. I will have my insights for you at the end of the podcast. But we'll get along with this week's opening tip, where we will recap the majority of the NFL Week 2. Again, I'm saving the Jets and the Browns for the pick second with Martino, but we will dive into the rest of the action from the Week 2 right after this. Their identity and developing it over the course of the season. Brady, end zone, caught by Brown, touchdown, New England. Antonio Brown, the newest Patriot, plunging into the stands in his hometown. He is very comfortable with number 17, going against first-year player Jamal Wiltz. A little bit of a shove there, the ball right on target. All right, we are back with Zeke's opening tip. That call is heard courtesy of the great Iron Eagle and Dan Thousand CBS Sports. Antonio Brown catching his first touchdown as a member of the New England Patriots. We'll start there. We're not going to spend too much time there. Patriots whitewashed the Dolphins 43 to nothing. We learned absolutely nothing about the Patriots in that football game. Nothing. Because they were playing a JV unit in the Dolphins. And JV might be an insult to the JV teams down the world out there. The Dolphins are an embarrassment. That game was pathetic showing of NFL football right there. I took the 18.5 points last week in the pick segment there. I took the then there. I said, there's no way this game is close. I was right. I did not think it would get to 43 nothing, and that the Dolphins would not score. They have two pick sixes. On the second one, when a linebacker picks off Ryan Fitzpatrick, players on the Dolphins are just jogging after him, and the linebacker basically speed walks into the end zone. If you have any Dolphins in your fantasy leagues, drop them, all of them. They are useless to you. The one guy you might get away with is Kalen Bowans, the running back, if you have a shortage on during a bye week. But don't use their quarterbacks. Their receivers stink. They don't have a tight end. Their defense is abysmal. The Dolphins are an embarrassment. And this one number will tell you all you need to know. They have been outscored 102-10 to 10 over their first two games. 102-10. to 10. That is Bethune-Cookman against Alabama levels of pathetic from the Dolphins. So do not use any Dolphins going forward. They are a joke. Let's go to the local team here that play on Sunday. Again, I'm recording on Monday, so we're not going to deal with the Jets yet. We'll deal with them in the pick segment. We're going to do with Martino later. But Giants, Bills, Buffalo Bills go to 2-0. Josh Allen looked good. First half completes 15-20 passes, throws a touchdown, runs for a touchdown. That's a good day, but... How much can we really take away from the Bills here? I know they're 2-0. They have a good pass defense. They have some interesting weapons, but 
The Jets gave them a football game week one. The Giants were awful for most of yesterday. Can we make a lot out of the Buffalo Bills here? I don't know. They get another lollipop this week against the Bengals, so they should be 3-0, but they play New England two weeks. That's what I think we know about the Buffalo Bills. Once they play the Patriots, we see what they do against them. We'll have a better idea of what this football team looks like going forward. Giants, again, not a good showing from you guys. And I know that the Giants want to believe they can win, but they got gashed on the ground yesterday, 151 yards on the ground by the Bills. And this is not a vintage, like, Travis Henry, Willis McGahee era Bill rushing attack. This is old man Frank Gore, rookie Devin Singletary looked good before he hurt the hamstring, and Josh Allen. That's not good. The Giants were letting the Sears be open all over the field. Allen was making big throws, and they've been really bad. Eli Manning has not been bad the first two games, but this team is not going anywhere. I know you're in a tough spot there because you have veterans in that room who want to try and win, and going to the rookie basically says, you know what, we're prepared to let this year be a lost year. If he has his struggles, we need him to get them out of the way now. So let's go around the league for a little bit more. Let's go to Packers-Vikings, one of the big games yesterday in the early window. Packers win 21-16. That Packer defense is very, very, very good. Kirk Cousins, who rips them apart time and time again over the last couple of years. They contained him yesterday. Cousins went just 14-32 for 230 yards. They touched down, two picks, lost a fumble. Not good for the Vikings there, who have paid him a boatload of money, and now he's going backwards against the Packers. Not good. Rodgers was efficient. He was not a star. The offense had its struggles early on. I mean, they had issues, but that's to be expected with a new coach. Rodgers in the floor did get into an argument on the sideline, but they said after the game, all was good, and it should be good. They won two in a row. They've beaten the two presumed favorites in that division, the Bears on opening night, the Vikings at home, so big 2-0 star for the Packers in that division. Another interesting game in an early Colts-Titans. Colts sneak by t- t- Tennessee 19-17, and they still own the Titans. I know that was the thing is that Andrew Luck owned the Titans, but he's gone now. He's retired. The Colts still found a way to win that game. And it was not a truly great game to watch. Tennessee couldn't move the ball at all through the air. Marcus Mariota, not good. He was not very exciting, and that's a big problem for them. They have a short week this week against the Jags. I would not be surprised they lost that game. We'll get to that one in a bit. Well, speaking of Thursday, we'll go back to Thursday for a minute. Panthers, Bucks. The Panthers are 0-2. They lose the Bucks 20-14. They had a chance at the end there. Christian McCaffrey just can't get into the end zone, that fourth down play. And the nightmare continues in Carolina. Remember, this team, in the middle of last season, was 6-2 and going into Pittsburgh on a Thursday night, basically saying, we're going to the playoffs, and this is a big potential, like, Super Bowl preview the way those two teams are playing. They lose that game. Since that day, they have one win and nine losses. That's not good football. Cam Newton looks shot. He just does not look like the same guy anymore. And that's not good for that team because they built their entire unit around him. The shoulder surgery is supposed to fix things. It hasn't. And they have a lot of problems. That's a big nightmare going forward. 
Speaking of nightmares, we'll go to the Steelers who lose to the Seahawks, or more importantly, lose Ben Roethlisberger for the season. As an elbow injury requires surgery. He is done after two games. The Steelers are 0-2. James Conner hurt in that game as well. Still waiting a word for him, but this is not good for a Steelers, man. I mean, Mason Rudolph was the quarterback yesterday. He was okay, but you're not going anywhere with him this year. You just aren't. The season for them is over because you lost a lot of elite talent this year with Brown going to Oakland and then ending up in New England, Bell on the Jets. They don't have anything left without Ben because Juju is a good player. Connor's already hurt. Remember, he got hurt at the end of last year as well. This is going to be a long year for the Steelers fans, and you wonder, is Ben going to retire after this? Does Ben have the will in him to say, you know what, I'm going to come back from this injury. I'm going to do all this rehab work to get back in. He's not getting any younger. He's already won a Super Bowl. He's won two Super Bowls, actually. He's been to three. And you sit there and you wonder, at what point does he say, you know what, I'm good. I did enough. My legacy is secure. And I pity poor ESPN, who in later in the season, they had the misfortune of getting the Steelers and the Dolphins on Monday Night Football. I don't know who, what brilliant genius came up with that plan, but now you have Mason Rudolph against the tanking for two of Dolphins on Monday night this year. That's abysmal scheduling, and that's going to be a game I think might get one of the worst ratings on the planet, that game, but enough there. Big beneficiary from the Steelers. Uh, injury situation the Baltimore Ravens and the Ravens beat the Cardinals 23-17 this game was close like I expected it would be I took this game in the picks last week because I thought there's no way that this game is as good as a 13 point spread for the Ravens I don't think they're that good where they're going to kill the Cardinals like that and the Cardinals to their credit kept this game close for a long time Kyler Murray good game 25 of 40 349 yards in this game but Lamar Jackson, again, the storyline here. Lamar Jackson passing 24 of 37, 272 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. And, again, he's going to quiet the haters who say, you know what, he's a running back. But two games in a row, he has done very well passing the football. And he added the running game yesterday, too. He ran for 16 times, 120 yards. That's just completely taking over a game. My question with Lamar Jackson is this. Is he really improved as a passer? Or is this just against the level of competition he's dealing with? Because week one, shredded the Dolphins, and that's not going to be hard for people to do. The Dolphins are shreddable. People will take advantage of that. And yesterday against the Cardinals, playing without their top corner, Patrick Peterson suspended for eight games. They don't have much else in the secondary right now. So is it Lamar Jackson being improved, or is it the level of competition? They play the Chiefs this week. I would not be surprised if we have some big developments there. We go to next. We're going to go to the end of that Jaguar-Texan game. That one, what a finish there. Let me start there because the Texans have their own issues, guys. The Texans in this game look like that they should have been putting this team away, but they could not get enough separation from the Jaguars. Late in the game, they're up 13-6. to Gardner Minshew, Gardner Minshew, him with the magic mustache, goes right down the field at the end of the game. They score a touchdown goal, they won. 
Doug Marone says, you know what? I'm going for two. I want to win right here. They hand the ball off to Fournette. Fournette, it looks very close, very close that he might have got there. But he didn't. The refs ruled that way. Was upheld on replay. They can't get the onside kick. Jags lose. Tough loss for them, but they play very well under Minchu. I think they will do well against Tennessee this week. Texans, man, the alarms signs are there. They were not good. They did not look good yesterday. And their schedule is not very easy. I would not be surprised if they have a hard time winning this division. I would, I still think the Colts have a great shot at this. And the Texans did nothing to dissuade me from that yesterday. Go to the late window for a little bit. The end of the Bear game, guys, that was insane. We start off, I mean, we'll recap this game here. So the Bears are in Denver. They're taking on the Broncos. So basically, here's what happens in this game. The Bears are up 13-6 to in the fourth quarter. Joe Flacco leads the Broncos right down the field. They score the touchdown. They line up to go for two at first to try and go for the win. They try and do the same thing that Doug Marone is doing in down in Houston. But they commit the penalty. They get pushed back to five yards. Vic Fangio bring, goes out and says, you know what? I don't want to take a seven-yard two here. I'm going to try and go for the PAT. So they send the kicker out. The Broncos miss the kick, but the Bears jump off sides. That means the penalty goes back. They go back for the two because they get the five yards back. They hit it. They're up 14-13, just 31 seconds to go. You're thinking, great. This is awesome. You're a Bronco fan. Bad loss to the Bears, but they get down the field, and their kicker, Eddie Pinheiro, bombs a 53-yarder for the win. My goodness. You know that the Bears fans are jumping up and down now that they have a kicker. Eddie Pinheiro, in clutch time, nails the game winner. Brutal loss for the for the Broncos, but the Bears, huge sigh of relief. Narrowly avoided going on with two thanks to their kicker. Still concerned about them going forward, but great start to the year for Bear kicker Eddie Pinheiro. Let's go to the Rams-Saint game, the big marquee matchup of the weekend. And this game, the Rams win running away, but the storyline coming out of this one is the injury to Drew Brees. Drew Brees leaves the game early. He hurts his thumb. It turns out that he tears a thumb ligament. He needs surgery. He's out probably six weeks. That's a big, big blow for the Saints because the Saint upcoming schedule is really loaded with contenders. The Saints have the next couple games, they have the next two games at the Seahawks, Cowboys. Those are two games they could lose easily, even with Teddy Bridgewater quarterback there. Then they get Tampa, they get the at the Jags. Those are two they could get. Then they have the Bears in Chicago. That's going to be tough if Breeze is not ready for that one. And the Cardinals. That's a tough road to hoe for the Saints without their quarterback. Well, there's still enough time here. They could miss, recover from this. If they win the games they're capable of winning, they could still easily get in the playoffs and be in position to make a run once they get there. But they have a lot of work cut out for them, and that's a huge, huge issue for New Orleans. And they did not look good once he went out yesterday. They could not score a touchdown. They got three well-lots field goals. The Rams did what they had to do. They found a way to score on that defense. They continue to split the time on the running back between Ty Gurley and Malcolm Brown. Most of this may have fantasy owners like myself who has Ty Gurley. But it's working. And right now they're the clear front runners in the NFC because they're healthy. They're intact. 
They picked up a big win over the Saints that will prove huge if they're in a big spot for the playoffs later on. So big statement for the Rams. And last but not least, we'll go to Sunday Night Football, Eagles-Falcons, and I don't know how the Falcons end up winning this game because at first, I mean, Eagles are dropping left and right. Alshon Jeffrey gets hurt. Deshaun Jackson gets hurt. Carson Wentz comes out of the game for a little bit. They're losing bodies left and right. The Falcons just can't take advantage, though. They get a couple of touchdowns. Matt Ryan, very conservative after a few turnovers. Eagles end up going right down the field at the end of the game, score a touchdown, get the lead, and then all of a sudden, then the Falcons just kick it into gear. Matt Ryan hits one to Julio Jones. He goes 54 yards to the house. The D holds. End of the day, Falcons win. They are 1-1. One one. Now, they are probably the biggest winners here of the Drew Brees injury because they don't get to play the Saints while they're injured, but they now can have the chance to build up some victories as the schedule progresses. I mean, let's take a look here at the Falcons slate coming up. Falcons, I mean, they're they're in the AFC South the next three weeks. They go to the Colts. They host the Titans or at the Texans. They could easily win all three of those at Arizona. Then the big game against the Rams and the Seahawks, the two-game homestand. So they have an opportunity here to make up some big ground because they should be getting the Saints right around when Drew Brees comes back. And that would be a huge statement for them to have put a cushion between themselves and the Saints. So a lot of fun there. The Eagles, tough showing there. Wentz was very shaky the first half of this game. He was not hitting his throws at all. He was way off. And you have to wonder if all these injuries are going to catch up to them because they lost a lot of receivers this game. Nelson Aguilar had a chance to end this game, make a big play, dropped a potential game-winning touchdown. It was in his hands. He just dropped it. And they're in a dogfight with Dallas in that division. Dallas rampaged the Redskins earlier in that game. So don't be surprised if this comes down to a very tight race. I think Dallas right now is presumably better than the Eagles. That's all I got for you right now. We will dive into the Jets later in the show because, again, I'm recording on Monday before the Jet game. So we will talk about the Jets during the picks with Martino. But up next, we'll go to the baseball beat with Anthony Sorbellini right after this. Play ball. All right, we are back. I love that bumper. It's the baseball beat here on the podcast. Unfortunately, Will Schneider could not be with us today. He's off doing big, busy things. I'm not going to spoil them for you. But we do have Anthony Sorbellini from the Baseball Beat here in the studio with us today. Anthony, how are you? Good, Mike. It's good to be back. It's been a minute since you've been in the studio. Yeah, it's been a minute. The last time we talked was the trade deadline. A lot's happened since then. Oh, yeah. Definitely a lot. I'd be honest, I don't think I've talked about the Yankees on this podcast since the trade deadline. I've kind of been on cruise control with them. Well, I mean, really nothing happened in the trade deadline for them. They've just been just picking up where they left off. Yeah, I mean, they've been cruising, they've been getting hurt some more, they're winning games. It's just the same old. It's it's the same old, but then you still look at this roster, you're like, how are they winning still without key guys? Yeah, it's incredible how they're winning in spite of losing pretty much everybody. I think they have the record now for what the most guys have went on the injury list in a year. Oh, yeah, it's it's still – I can't even, like, wrap my mind around it. Yeah. To do to be where they are right now, missing key guys, like, they don't have you don't have – your ace. You didn't have your ace for the whole year. Yeah, they didn't have Dalvin Matanzas for the whole you year. You didn't have Dalvin Matanzas. You didn't have Giancarlo Stanton for he most played, of the year. Yeah, he played nine games. Yeah. And he's so, supposed to be coming back soon, so they need him, but we'll yeah, get to that. So, yeah. 
Let's start with the Yankees right now. They're going to the playoffs. They mm-hmm. haven't officially clinched yet, but it's just it's a matter just of days. Yep. So and we're recording this on Monday, by the way, because by the time this comes out, you probably will have clinched the berth by that point. But. Oh, yeah, probably. So we'll look at some things with the playoff roster construction because right now they are going to be in. They're going to be hosting the wild card team or the Twins in the first round. But let's look at some roster construction because one thing I think is interesting for me the last few days is last few weeks actually is the whole thing with Domingo Herman what they're going to do with him because obviously he's starting a lot this year he's won a lot of games last couple of times though they've been piggybacking with CC because Mm -hmm. they want to save the innings and I heard something from Aaron Moon the other day about how they might consider using him as a reliever and sort of like the behind the opener kind of deal in the playoffs like do you think that's a wise choice no I think Aaron has to be a starter yeah I mean he's shown this year he picked up where Severino left off when he got hurt yeah for what Herman has done this season, and to not have him be a playoff starter is insane. Yeah. I think what's going to happen, well, what they're looking at, and I think they really should do, I mean, I've been saying this all season, CC's on his last legs, retiring after this year, battling knee injuries again. You have to put CC in the bullpen. Yeah. CC's going to be your bullpen guy. Herman's going to go in, he's going to suck up innings, he'll get you a solid five, six, maybe even seven. Yeah. But he has to be a playoff starter. Has to be. Yeah, I mean, the way it sounds they have it lining up right now, it sounds like he's going to be Tanaka game one, which he should be because he's the most reliable guy they have. Pax- he's, just big, he's just big game Tanaka. Yeah. But if something happens, he could be struggling no matter how bad it is in the regular season, but come playoff times, he just flips that switch and he just goes. Yeah, you throw the regular season out with Tanaka. You know when it, the big moment is big, he'll step up for you right. and be good. It sounds like Pax will be game two from what, I'm, from what I've been gathering. Game three is up in the air. I mean – Sounds like they're considering Severino with an opener. I mean, that's an option. And it sounds like the CC, Herman could be an option. I just mm-hmm. think, I don't think they're being too cute with it. I think just put Herman in there, game three, and then figure out four. If you want to do the Chad yeah. Green to Severino thing, that's fine. But, like, I think you should have Herman starting games. It just makes the most sense. He's yeah. been your most consistent starter all year. Yeah. And even when he's been bad, so to speak, yeah. he's not even bad. No. He's always just, he's been the rock of that rotation. He is what... Severino was last year. Yeah. And nobody saw this coming from Herman. I didn't see it coming. I can't believe like this is happening. Yeah. Especially the way he was performing last year, the year before that, just up and down, up and down, up and down. Yeah. The thing that bothers me the most about this is just like we saw last year when the A's and the Wild Cards against the Yankees when they tried the bullpen. And I'm like, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen because you're relying yeah. on everybody to have an A moment. You're putting guys in positions they're not used to. Like Herman's is starting the entire season. I think right. you have to let him start because, I mean, you don't have to – you're not wed him for, like, five innings to be struggling in the fourth, take him out and go to the bullpen. Well, yeah, I mean, speaking off what you said about the A's last year with the opener, it's just too many variables. Yeah. You got – I mean, with a starter, you can at least rely on that one variable. Him, he can go three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah. But then as soon as you bring in that bullpen, it's kind of – you know, but you don't really know. I yeah. mean, yes, the Yankees have one of the best, if not the best, bullpen in all of Major League Baseball right now. But I, there's no reason that Armand should be coming out of the bullpen. He has to be a starter. Yeah, I think he has to be a starter. The other interesting angle there with the uh, rotation is Severino because he's just coming back. Mm-hmm. He's going to pitch on Tuesday. They said right now it's about 75, 80 pitches from what I'm hearing. Does that sound about right to you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's pretty much coming from – they're not going to overextend him. They want him ready for come playoff time. So and it wouldn't surprise me really if – even if Severino's not fully ready – that he'll be coming out of the bullpen too. Yeah, I think that the opener makes more sense for him just because, yeah. like, 
you could if you want to piggyback in behind CC, that would be something mm-hmm. you could do like one day, have them beat game four, like two yeah. of them going back to back. That's not a bad idea, in my opinion. Yeah, I think because going off that, I think what they sh- what should happen is you have either CC Severino open because CC is going to get you a solid two innings. Yep. I mean, that's pretty much guaranteed. Yeah, he that's. Pretty much all he knows he's on his last. I mean, he's yeah. retiring after this season, so he's on his last legs, literally, <laughs> with the knee injuries and everything like that. But that's about all you're gonna get from CC. Two, three, if you're very, very lucky. So that's where you're gonna see the opener happen, and Chad Green, mm-hmm. Severino. Just that's where you're gonna have to piece the game together. Yeah, in Game Four for sure in mm-hmm. the first round, and I think obviously they that pitching I think is the most interesting thing with them. The lineup obviously had some injury issues. Stanton should be coming back, but they don't have Hicks anymore. Yeah. Sanchez just got hurt trying to steal a base. I don't know how. That was probably very stupid on his part. We got Encarnacion with the oblique injury. We have another another couple issues here. So, like, which of those injuries is the most bothersome to you? Most bothersome? Hmm. I, I'm going with Gary Sanchez. Yep. It's just he can't get this groin healthy. Yep. And as a catcher, it's not what you want. I mean, he's in the squad every day, every, yep. every time, every play. <coughs> and then, excuse me, and then having your catcher being able to not – especially him with his pop time. Yep. And then you generate so much swing strength from your lower body. So then that's going to be a big one. If he don't if we don't if they don't rest him now, this could be something that could potentially knock him out of the playoffs. And we ha- he had this problem last year. He came back too early, ended up missing what? Half season, quarter of a season yeah. with a ground injury. I mean, he was never right either. He was always struggling with no, the yeah. I mean, he I believe what well, was he running down the line? Is that how, how it happened last year? Yeah, I, I think, think he was, was busting the line. I think it was in Tampa or Toronto. It was yeah. one of the turf fields. He definitely got hurt. It was one of the tar- tarp field, turf fields. And he was just coming down the line, and then you saw, like, everyone's like, oh, he's not running. And then you saw, like, he's what he's back from a pulled groin or grain strain in a week and a half, which isn't happening. No, <laughs> no, it's not happening. I mean, it just – him the de- the drop off from him to Romine. I know Romine's been good in short spurs, but do you want him catching every day in the playoffs? I don't. No, I see. I trust Romine's bat a little bit more than I trust Sanchez's, just a little bit because Romine just a tad more consistent. I mean, Romine's not going to be the power that Gary yeah. brings, but Romine's just kind of your slap hitter for yeah. a catcher. Yeah, which is kind of which is nice. He's not swinging for the long ball all the time. He'll have his key hits here and there, but I'd rather have in terms of. Because playoffs is nitty gritty. You're yep. gonna see teams be stealing left and right, and I want you want Gary Sanchez behind the plate. Like yep. his his arm is unrivaled in terms of catching. Yeah, the underrated concern I think that people not enough people are talking about with their roster construction right now is the their outfield is very thin. Assuming mm-hmm. Stan, we're getting Stanton back, but Stanton's got to go to left field where he did not play very well last year. His limited spurts there. Guardy's yeah. playing center be, full time because Hicks is out and he's mm-hmm. done for the year. Judge is great and right, but. That's the one area of concern I have because A. Gardy has been great this year. I mean, 25 home runs is ridiculous yeah. out of Brett Gardner. And he's been very good defensively. But, like, you wonder, like, all these at-bats, all the innings in center could take a toll on him as the playoffs wear on. And is Stan going to be able to handle left? I think the bigger factor is is Stan going to handle left. Because Gardy, he's a veteran. Yeah. You know, he wants to play. He's in his signed a one-year contract he's trying to prove like to the Yankees like hey he wants to come back stuff like that so I'm not really concerned about Gardy. it's the fact that Stanton's been out this entire year and then you're just going to throw him in left where he's used to playing right field the ball comes off at a different angle in right field so as opposed to seeing it in left field everything is just completely different yeah and left field I mean I can say is much trickier than right field is oh yeah without a doubt it's just the way between the short porch and right field and just I 
it's just the the, the angles. The, it's there's a whole scientific thing that it's just yeah. Because most crazy most parks is usually that right field that left the right field is harder, and usually mm-hmm. the Yankee Stadium is the opposite. Left field is harder for yeah. some reason. So it's it's very interesting to see how he handles that. And the Yankees you mentioned before. They have four potential opponents right now in the first round. The Twins, if they fall behind the Astros of the two seed, and they have one of the wild card teams, the A's, the Indians, and the Rays. Right now, the A's and the Rays seem to be on the inside track for those two spots. So, which one of those teams, as a Yankee fan, would you not want to see? Because, I mean, I think they could beat all of them, but I feel like there's got to be one that's more concerning than any of them. The Indians. Yeah. Just Terry Francona factor. He knows yeah. his team. Yes, they're different teams, but Terry Francona, he's – one of the best managers in baseball history. Just the way he goes about games. He knows Yankee Stadium. He knows most of these players. It's just he's the one who concerns me the most. Yeah, I think I agree with that logic because the Twins, I know the Twins are good, but the Twins are never beaten the Yankees in a no. spot that's important. Yeah. The Twins don't concern me. The A's, I know they beat them up in the regular season, but the playoffs is a different animal, and we saw last year when – Well, I think last year the main reason why the A's were just – is because they had the op- the opener. Yeah. And then plus, as soon as as soon as soon Judge hits that that home run in the in the first in the bottom of the first inning, and then you bring the crowd back into it where the crowd was already wild, just you can't go into Yankee Stadium and allow that to happen. Yeah, and them and the Rays, we've seen the Rays in the regular season. The Yankees handle them pretty well. So I think the Indians are probably the team that's most concerned. And luckily for the Yankees, they might not make it. Yeah, I mean, like you said with the Rays, the Yankees have seen that team all season. So yeah. they know how they are. They know how they compete. And the Rays are – we knew they were going to be good going in, but I don't see – it's basically David versus Goliath in the terms of the Yankees versus the Rays. Yep. Just because how – the Yankees are constructed. How they perform this year is just, and then compared to the Rays, yes, the Rays have been pretty much had everybody on the roster healthy and stuff like that, but nobody saw this coming with the Yankees. No, nobody thought they would be this good when they lost this many guys to injury. Oh, exactly. And let's take a look at that wild card race for one second because the divisions are locked at this point. It's Yankees, Twins, and it's Astros, and then the wild card race. You got the A's up on the Rays, and the Rays are up on the Indians. Do you think the Indians can make, get back in? Do you think they they simply just have run out of room here? Eh. It Teams are so neck and neck, and everything's just getting so high. I think the teams that we see right now at the top, they're going to stay there. I see that happening. It's going to be A's, Rays. I see that happening. I just don't see really anybody else coming to take them over. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm gonna, I'm pulling up some of these schedules right now to see who we have left. We're recording on Monday the 16th, so by the time this comes out, probably around Thursday, you'll get a sense of what's going on here. The Indians' last uh, 12 games: home Detroit, home Philadelphia, at the White Sox, at Washington, and that's going to be very tricky because yeah. the Phillies are still in it. Technically, the Nationals are probably going to the playoffs. So, well, you're gonna you're gonna go into you're gonna go into. Uh, who are they playing in there? The tie, you're going to go into Detroit. You're going to most likely win that series. I mean, Detroit's yeah, I mean, you awful. Should, you should sweep that series. You should sweep that series. And then the White Sox, too. Another one, you should definitely take two or three. Yeah, the A's, for comparison, the A's are ahead right now. The A's down the stretch. Royals, Rangers, Angels, Mariners, huge advantage there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the first five of those, six of those are at home. And then the none of those teams is actually remotely competitive right now, aside from Texas. Yeah, so it's just – it's strictly just a numbers game. It's just strength of schedule right there. Yeah. 
the Rays in that same period, they actually have a trickier margin here because they have the Dodgers for two. Mm-hmm. They're in, in L.A., wrap up the West Coast trip. Then they have the Red Sox for four in a wraparound series, the Yankees and the Blue Jays. But it's just... the Red Sox, though, are kind of mailed it at this point. Yeah, the Red Sox pretty much, they were eliminated from the AL East a couple of days ago, so they pretty much folded. They it, It's guaranteed they're not going to make the playoffs. They know it. The whole front office knows it. The whole organization, the fans, everybody knows it. So the Red Sox are just going to try to play the season out, get everybody healthy, yeah. stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. So that's that's the AL side of things. We'll go to the NL. Let's go to the Mets for a second here. The Mets are pretty much toast because they blew a big game against the Dodgers on Sunday night. And this, to me, was so typical of the Mets this season because – That's just the way the Mets have been for the past 10 years. I mean, let's – They go- can't play. They can't win meaningful games in September. No, I mean, let's look at this for one second. I mean, last night they're up 2-1 to one in the seventh inning – Zach Wheeler's cruising. I'm, mm-hmm. Why is that he gets the big strikeout at the end of the seventh, leaves two men on, and he's out, out there pumping his face like, yeah. I'm like, okay. <laughs> he's throwing 96 pitches. Let's get him out there for the eighth because the Met bullpen stinks. Yeah. It's awful. Like, we can't count on these guys. And all of a sudden, out comes Mickey, out comes Wheeler, in comes Justin Wilson, lead gone, next inning, Lugo in, lead gone, game over. It just goes to what you – Will and I have pretty much been talking about ever since we started the baseball beat. Sometimes Mickey Callaway just does things that just leaves you scratching your head. Oh, plenty of times. I mean, <laughs> I remember a couple of weeks ago he did an interview on WFAN with Evan Roberts and John Jaskremski, and they asked him point blank. They said, Mickey, you're going to push your starters more to uh, go deep in games. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do that. But I feel like every time he gets a chance, he's running that bullpen to go get Seth Lugo in there and – and it's cost them so many games here, and that's the reason why they're not going to the playoffs. Oh, yeah. I, they were in prime position. They came pretty – most people knew they were going to be a contending team or at least in the fight. Yep. But for most of the league, the people co- saw they came They came out of nowhere, and yep. they did for the most part. They went – they were – They were dead. They were they were dead. Yep. They were banking on next season, and then all of a sudden they get super hot. Yeah. Come out, come in the gate. You're like, okay, they, they could win the East. Yeah. It's just so annoying with them too because you can see they're not that far off. Mm-mm, they're because, just missing key pieces. They need that. They need the bolster that bullpen. The bullpen needs a lot of help. They need a center fielder can play every day. That's mm-hmm. not. I think we've learned seen that over the course of the stretch here between because Lagaris doesn't hit enough, yeah. and when you play Conforto out there in center field, you have defensive issues, and that's a huge problem. Yeah. But the nucleus of that team is pretty much there. I mean, you yes, you have to figure out the Syndergaard Wheeler dynamic next year, mm-hmm. which one you're keeping, which one you're not. I personally would trade Syndergaard and try and get pieces that way because they're on payroll restrictions. I would retain Wheeler, trade Syndergaard, get three pieces to fill that spot. That's what you, I, From what I've heard, reports come out, Syndergaard and that relationship is yeah. pretty tarnished with the Mets. Yep. So there's you're not going to meld a broken relationship like that already. Syndergaard wants out, it seems, and the Mets are trying to get him out, trying to find pieces for him. Yeah. So that's the best bet. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's gonna end up chipped out. I would re-sign Wheeler. I would move Lugo to the rotation. I know it kills the bullpen, but he's just the way he's used. He can't. You can't count on him to pitch two days in a row. I mean, yeah. yes, this weekend was this only the sixth time all year he's pitched back-to-back he needs, days. He's, the, he's typically like a starter. He yeah. needs the more rest. Yeah, he. I think considering he's p- pitching with a partial UCL tear, it's, easy, it's yeah. more easier having a regular routine where he's pitching every five days. And he mm-hmm. he's come out last week and said, I'm a, "I view myself as a starter." So, yeah, so. I would put him back there. I would trade Diaz off because I think this is kind of like Sonny Gray was for the Yankees, where it's just not going to work in this town for yeah. him. Just you get, I mean, admit the mistake here, don't compound it, and just hope that he fixes himself. Just take your fifty cents on the dollar and move on. 
and then just do what you can to fix the bullpen. Do those things. I think you have a shot next year to actually go deep they, and win it. I would say they could probably either be very close to contention for the NL East. If not, they'll definitely be the top spot for the wild card if they bolster that bullpen, if they get the rotation figured out. Because the offense is there. It is. They just need one player. They need a center fielder. one player. Yeah. That is so frustrating. And you know what else is frustrating to me? What's that? This whole thing about the league not letting them wear the hats for first responders on 9-11. That just drives me insane because – I don't understand because in 2001, right after that 9-11 first happened, yep. that's all Yankees, Mets were, play- were wearing first responders hats. Why can't we do it now? It, there, it, doesn't, it doesn't affect playing Anything. the game. It, considering that they won't let them wear FDNY, NYPD hats, anything like that, but yet on the players' weekend they can wear these bright white jerseys yeah. and these pitch black jerseys, which could cause more issue on seeing the ball. It does. It it baffles me. It's something just so simple and as not, silly as that is, not being able to wear those hats to commemorate all those everyone that we lost that day. It's it's baffling to me. Yeah, it's definitely mind-boggling. And I have a quote. I have a clip here. Joe Torre was at the Met game on Sunday night. He was asked about the hats thing specifically because mm-hmm. I hats out. That's what the Pete Alonso I love to do because he organized a whole thing where they were oh, all going to wear the nine eleven the nine eleven yeah. uh, cleats. So. Evidently, shockingly, did not find them for not breaking the uniform code. But he was asked, Tori was asked about the uniforms, and here's what he had to say. The only problem is, and obviously I'm sensitive to 9-11. I mean, there's no question about it. Uh, but, you know, what, you know, what's not important, you know, to do something different? That, that's the only thing. It's just, just the uniformity that we try to bring to all the teams. Uh, if we allow one team and then somebody, you know, God forbid, uh, you know, a young child and, and you wind up, you know, able to do stuff everywhere. But, you know, that's the only issue. I mean, certainly, you know, we allow them to wear it in pre, pre-game and stuff like that. But uh, in order to be uniform and fair to all the other teams, uh, you know, we, we try to keep the, the game yeah, let me make one thing clear here. This is a joke from Joe Torre talking oh, about consistency with the uniforms. I mean, let's get this out of the way. Like, this is the same league that has pink hats for Mother's Day, blue hats <laughs> for Father's Day, flag hats for patri- for all the patriotic holidays. They let the Astros wear moon landing caps. We can't let the Mets wear 9-11 first responder hats for one day. Literally one day, the most significant day in recent history to where just commemorate honor all those lost it's such a simple little thing yeah. i don't see why and it just seems like joe torre just completely dodged that dodged that question oh absolutely I'm, it was just that's such a it, such a half-assed uh, response it's, it makes absolutely no sense i mean you saw me in the middle of that i i you're like, jumped what? out of my seat. I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, it's it's all a cop out. Howie Rose pressed him on it during yes. the because they had him on during the game on, on the Met Radio broadcast. And he again was evasive. To me, it's just one thing. They can't make money off those hats. That's why they don't want to let them wear them. They they can sell the Astro Moon Landing hats. They sell mm-hmm. the pink and the blue hats and they get all the money off that. They get nothing off the first responder hats. That's why they don't want to do it. Oh yeah, well if it look I mean, I'm not in the position to do this, but if it was me running the league, if I was commissioner 
Manfred, what I would do is I don't care about the profit margins on something like this. Yeah. Just let it out. Just Joe Torre should know better than anyone. He even spoke to it. It's very important to him. He was a part of it. He was there in that playing the next few days after it happened. Yeah. So to see how it affected the city, the state, the country, and now that they can't do this is just completely baffling. All over for some because we want to keep everybody uniform. Yeah. What, if some, what did he say? What if some little kid? Consistency. Yeah. That, That's a, such a stupid buzzword. It's a cop out. It doesn't make any sense. It's just a simple little hat for one day. Yeah. I mean, come on, guys. Grow, grow up hair here. Guys, yeah. Okay. But let's get back to the wild card race. Now that they, I've got my rant out of the way about <laughs> the hats because that was really bothering me. So, and now wild card race, we have a good mix of teams here because we have the. The Nationals are up there right now. The Cubs mm-hmm. and the Brewers are in there. We'll put the Mets and the Phillies on the board, even though they're, neither one of them is probably going to the playoffs. Like, which one of these teams do you think could have the deepest run in October? The deepest run? Yeah. Hmm. Probably the Cubbies. Yeah. Just because they've been there. They got that core group of guys. Simply just for that. They've been the most consistent-ish team. I know they had their, their slow start, things like that. They've been there like i said and i don't really see any other team in the wild card jumping out at me yeah so yeah i'm just gonna go with tried and true you know been there before type of thing yeah i'm gonna take washington just because of the pitching because mm-hmm. your top you could roll out a top three of scherzer strasburg and corbin the first in the in the in the uh, nlds that's gonna be a tough out for anybody i know the dodgers probably better equipped than anybody to deal with that top team but yeah. like I like their chances the best to get out of that first round. I think they have the best opportunity there. They could, yeah. I could see them getting there, but the Cubs, I just – they have such an explosive roster yep. in terms of batting. Yep. The pitching does concern me. They don't really have too much as opposed to the Nationals where that's what they're built on. They just have guys who can get who can spread the ball across the field. Yeah, for sure, and I get your point too about the experience. The Nationals still have not won around since they moved to Washington, yeah, so it's, I, it's a fair point yeah. about the Cubs. The Cubs at least have done it before. A lot of their guys know how to win, and these, yeah, the Nationals don't. People take that for granted, be like, "Oh, this team has this player, this player, that player, this player." It's like it all comes down, boils down to the playoffs are such a big moment. It's a different atmosphere, and if you don't know how to play in that atmosphere, you could freeze up. Yeah, for sure. We've seen that with the Nats every year. Yeah. How many years since when Bryce Harper was first on the team, going back to five years, how many times were the Nationals picked to win the World Series on, like, ESPN? I feel, I feel like pretty like much that. every year. Every year they're yeah. picked, and they've, been, they've made the playoffs or they've choked at the in September and don't make the playoffs. They don't have the big game, the, the big guy leadership. Yep. You'll see maybe a change now that Harper's out of the building and somebody else is the leader, so we'll see how that mm-hmm. goes, but – Let's get to a fun, something interesting here. Let's. I went back and listened to our podcast beginning of the season, and I listened to our preseason predictions for the awards and the uh, and the pr- playoff teams. The awards was not so good. No. So to recap, the AL MVP award across the board went Aaron Judge. I think the injury ruined that for us. Yeah, I think it's gonna be. I, I think it's gonna be Mike Trout. Yeah, I think it's going to be Mike Trout. Even though he's done for the rest of the year. but He played long enough, and his numbers yeah. are otherworldly. That, that, kid's a, kid's a, yeah. that kid's a monster. Yeah. He, he's, a, he's a treasure to watch play. He's, yeah. he's incredible. Yeah, National League MVP 
We will pick Nolan Arenado, who's put up good numbers, but his team stinks, so he's got no yeah. shot at this. You and I both took Paul Goldschmidt, which, no. eh. We were, we were well off the Cody Bellinger, Christian Yelich path. Well, I, nobody expected to see that uh, Bellinger. Bellinger come out of nowhere and then Christian Yelich to do it again yeah. in the following years. I, there yeah. were, you expected some type of drop-off, but he had a great year, if not better than last year. Yeah, unfortunately for the Brewers, I mean, like if they do make it, like he has out for the year, not the fracture yeah. kneecaps. So that's a big problem for them. But the AL Cy Young was also, I'm going to say we messed this one up pretty well. I took Chris Sale. That was an awful pick in yeah. hindsight. What the hell's going on out here? <laughs> oh, I'm in the same boat. I took yeah. Blake Snell. Yeah, you took Blake Snell. The yeah. injury ruined that one, though. Yep. But Chris Sale was just bad. <laughs> Chris Sale just I – th- I don't know what's what's going on with him. There's yeah. something there's wrong. There's got to be something lingering in that shoulder or that elbow that's been injured, that's been dinged up a couple times that he's not fully recovered from. But he has not been the same pitcher ever since they signed him. No, he hasn't. And Will took Jose Barrios, so that's another interesting spot there. I mean, he had a good year, but not topping Verlander. No. Verlander, ever since Verlander went to the Astros, he's, like, been rejuvenated and caught second win. It's like he's a rookie again, just doing what he's doing. You thought he was on his tail end of his career, just kind of ride out the coattails, see see if he can help the Astros win a World Series title, which he did, basically in part because of what he did that one year. Yeah, yeah, that was an interest, that was definitely true. I mean, they wonder with him. Yeah. Do you think all the innings are catching up to him now? He threw with the White Sox and that, with the Red Sox last year. I mean, you think it's a lot of mileage in that arm. Oh, Chris Sale is yep. he's, he's getting beat up. Yeah, and you wonder if the Red Sox have buyers remorse on that contract right now that they gave him at the beginning of the year. Yeah, the guy, I, I would too. He's not giving you what – He's not giving you what you're paying him for. No, he's not. And NL Cy Young will go there next. Will and I took Aaron Nola. He's had a good year, not a great year. You had Clayton Kershaw, which yeah. I think that was interesting. It was interesting. I kind of saw – I thought he was going to come back from nowhere. You know, really haven't heard anything from him. You know, injuries. I thought he – I was really anticipating him to, him to have a back, bounce back year. Yeah, he's been much better of late. But he's been better, but he hasn't been the Clayton Kershaw. I think Clayton Kershaw is just dealing with the same thing we're seeing with Chris Sale right now. The innings, the pitches, the mileage, it's all adding up. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, the NL Cy Young, I feel like right now, is between Jake and uh, Young Jin Ryu. I don't think Max Scherzer is pitch enough to get that. Mm. I think it's Ryu. Yeah. It's Based gonna... off what he did for the, for the first half, his first half, he was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah it's going to be close because he also has stunk for most of the second half. Well, yeah. DeGrom's been a consistent for us the whole way through. Mm-hmm. And DeGrom has done not as good as he did last year. I think he might get it again. Yeah. And we'll go to the playoff teams now. So, American, we'll go to the American League first. I had the Yankees. Mm-hmm. We all First of all, we all took the, the four big teams from last year making it back. We have the Yankees, Red Sox, Astros, and Indians, all of us getting there. So, right. we're all going to probably be wrong on two of the four. I had the Twins getting in there as a wild card. You had the Rays in there as a wild card, so that's a plus for you. <laughs> Will also had the Twins in there, but he did have a very illuminating point. I'm going to give him some some love here on the podcast. So this is from Will back right around opening day about the Minnesota Twins. For that second wild card spot, yes. right? That's what we're talking about. Yeah, so I, I'm i sticking with the Twins. I'm buying in. Um, I think that's one of those, um, you know, it's like a really top-heavy division. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be able to go out and beat like the White Soxes of the world and so on. And Cleveland is really beatable too. Like like when I say second wild card, like they're going to be fighting for that division. Yeah. I could see Cleveland even falling into that second wild card. He nailed that one. Oh, it's. 
I've never talked to anybody or known everybody who knows baseball as well in depth as he does. He just yeah. pulls things out that you're just like, really? Where are yeah. you coming that from? And then just listening to that clip, it's like, damn. He <laughs> had the Twins going for the division. Give him that. Yeah. Yeah. That was a very good call, and he he might not. I mean, he was dead wrong about the Indians having struggles, so that was also a good mm-hmm. point we did not anticipate. So, let's go to the NL side for a bit. I will go up my refresh on my NL playoff teams. Also, one no, I forgot the AL. We all had the Yankees winning the East. So yeah, Woo-hoo! <laughs> we got that one right. Yeah, we'll clap. We'll clap ourselves for that one. Yep, NL playoff teams. I mean, I had the Nationals, the Cards, the Dodgers. The Rockies and the Mets. Those last two, not so good. No. <laughs> not the Rockies. Especially the Rockies. The, the Rockies is bad. Yeah. Will had the Nets, Cubs, Dodgers, Mets, and Brewers. It's pretty solid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we had the – I went in division order here. You and I had the Cardinals winning the Central. He had the Cubbies. Yeah. yeah. So. We got the Cardinals. That was we good for us. the Cardinals. You did pick the Phillies to win the East. I did. Yeah, that was not – that did not work out so well. No. Yeah. It w- looked like it was going to pick up steam come quarter point of the season, but then they just – Fell apart. To say the least. Yeah, you also had the Rockies in the wild card game and against the Brewers. <laughs> yeah, well – we, we bought high on Colorado. It would not work out for us. Yeah, well, I mean, Colorado was just – they were a tricky team last year. They kind of snuck their way in, and yeah. but they had a solid roster. They were they were, they were, they were solid. Yeah, they were. And they made, they really didn't make moves. So I, I really couldn't see them dipping out of the playoffs or especially falling off as much as they did this year. Yeah. So I was just kind of just riding the coattails a little bit. So. And to recap the World Series picks, I have the Astros on the Nationals. That's still alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will has the Yankees over the Nationals. That's also still alive. I think you won this one, though. <laughs> you had the Yankees over the Dodgers. Over the Dodgers. So that one, I think, is the closest to actually happening. Yeah. The thing is, Houston scares me. Yeah. They are a different beast. That's the one team come the American League side that is going to give the Yankees the most, most problems. And I said in 2009 when they won, I said, when the when the Angels were the team to beat, I said whoever beats the Angels in two thousand nine is going to win the World Series. The Yankees beat the Angels, and they and won the World Series. They won the World Series. Yeah, so I think whoever can beat the Astros come the American League side is going to win the World Series. Or the Dodgers, if the Dodgers get there for the Astros. Yeah, but yeah. the thing is, no matter I don't no matter who, if the Dodgers do get the World Series, no matter who they're playing, if they're playing the Astros, the Yankees, out of those two teams, I don't see the Dodgers beating the yep. Astros or the Yankees. But if by some miracle any other team other than the Astros or the Yankees gets to the American League, the Dodgers will win the World Series. Absolutely. And the interesting thing about the NL playoffs, I mean, we're gonna, we'll are gonna probably come back again somewhere during the playoffs mm-hmm. and just do a catch-up and all this. But, like, the one thing to note here is that the Braves have handled the Nationals very – not the Nationals. The Braves have handled the Dodgers very, very well this year. So, right. And the Braves, I mean, they have – a lot of pitching, not as good as the Dodger pitching, but they have a lot, and they have a very good young team of position players. So, I mean, we very well could see Atlanta knock the Dodgers off. Yeah, that that's the one team that could be the Cinderella story, so to speak, for yeah. the for the for the playoffs. We you know there's always that one team. Uh, the Brewers were at last year. Yeah. So I think the Braves could be that team for the for the NL this year. And nobody really talked about the Braves going into the year either. I was talking about the Nationals with all their moves. I got the Phillies yeah. getting Harper and JT Realmuto and the, and them and. The Mets obviously did what the Mets did, but yeah, well, the Braves didn't do much. But they get the did Braves. Enough. We thought they were two years like, too, too early. Yeah, too early. We knew they were coming. They were they're on the come up. They're on the cusp of being yep. something good, which 
they're still early. They still need some key key veteran leadership stuff like th- uh, things. More pitching, but they could be that like, te- they could be the Brewers from last year. And they're going to be very good for a very long time. As oh, a yeah. Met fan, terrifies you because they're already <laughs> back to like, haunting the Mets' dreams again. That's going right. to be not going to be fun. Anyway, that's a nice deep dive into the world of baseball. Get everybody caught up over the last like two and a half, less like month and a half of the game. So, Anthony, thanks for all the time today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, before, Mike. Before I let you go, do you want to let everybody know how to follow you on social media and do yeah. some of the stuff you're up to? Uh, in terms of stuff I'm up to, just photography is taking up most of my days now. I'm shooting for. Iona Athletics, Columbia Athletics, Manhattanville Athletics. Um, having a meeting with uh, New Rochelle High School at some point this week. Um, yeah, was shooting a couple of New York Liberty games, stuff. And just keep building the business, keep building my brand, stuff like that. So if you want to show support, just follow me on Instagram at Sorbellini Photos, S O R B E L L I N I Photos. And then for Twitter, it's at, it's at Ant Sorbellini, A-N-T-S-O-R-B-E-L-L-I-N-I. Awesome, man. Thanks again. I really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Mike. Hey, guys. This is Mike Phillips here. Recording from the future. I'm recording this on Thursday right before I do the picks of Martino Puccio. Just want to address two news items that came out since I recorded the first two segments on Monday. First up, the Giants did go to Daniel Jones at quarterback. Again, that change happened after I recorded my introduction on Monday. I do have some thoughts on the topic. I'll get more into the podcast next week. But if you want something right now, go to our blog, justendthesuffering.wordpress.com for my take on the Giants-Daniel Jones situation. And also, other breaking news on Thursday, we talked about Domingo Herman in the baseball beat. And he has since been placed on the MLB administrative leave list for a domestic violence-related incident. Details that are still emerging. As of right now, we will have more on that going forward once more information becomes available. Up next, our NFL picks for week three with Martino Puccio right after this. Show me the mic. All right, we are back. NFL picks week number three. Show me the money. Joining me today is a, another unhappy Jeff fan like myself, somebody you've heard from on the picks a couple times last year. We last talked to him in July about his Ryan Rivera documentary, which is still in progress. The great Martino Puccio is here doing picks. Martino, welcome. How are you? Thanks, Mike. Uh, I love the new intro that you got going on there with uh, Jerry Maguire, Cuba Jr., uh, Tom Cruise. I have such a great movie, and I think it's a great intro to have for this segment, and uh, I'm glad to be back, and thanks for having me. Yeah, that's, that was the inspiration for this entire segment was that one scene from Jerry Maguire. So you did crack the code there. Yeah, oh, it's 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 actually one of the more iconic uh, movie scenes in quotes too. So I mean, great taste. Yeah, I love I love that movie. So we are gonna do some picks. But first, I promise you, at the top of the show, we talk about the Jet game, and boy, what a clunker they had Monday night against the Browns. That was pathetic. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone kind of saw that coming. I, I just, like the the awful part was just to me the worst part was Trevor Simeon. I, I just feel so bad for the guy. It's kind of reminiscent of what happened last year with Alex Smith, Colt McCoy. You know, like starting quarterbacks out, backup goes in and almost immediately gets hurt right afterwards. I mean, Darnold isn't season ending, but I mean, look, Trevor Simeon like that. I mean, that's awful, but. 
I mean, I, I don't think the Browns look that great, right? I mean, no. for Mayfield, that, that was kind of, in my opinion, pathetic. For all the expectations that that team had going into uh, a Jets team that had basically no one besides Le'Veon Bell and Jamal Adams, right, the big stars. Yeah. So, I mean, they should have smacked them. And you know what? It wasn't as convincing as it should have been. No, it absolutely wasn't. I mean, Baker was befuddled most of that game. There wasn't a stat that looks any decent because Odell Beckham took a slant 89 yards to the house. I mean, that the, Greg Williams befuddled him the entire game. Yeah, I you know, it, it's kind of it's kind of like funny because we're talking everybody in the offseason, oh, they have all these weapons, like Baker's number one overall pick, claimed underdog his whole life, you know? Like, you're the number one overall pick now. Like, let's say how you respond, bud, and so far – not so good in my opinion. You know, they got embarrassed first week of the season. And then, you know, honestly, it was an embarrassing of a win that you could have. So, I mean, I think they got a lot of issues there, but not as many as the Jets. Yeah, Jets have a lot of issues. Obviously, one being Sam Darlin and the mono. I mean, he's back at the facility this week. They said he's targeting week five. But again, considering what mono is and he has to deal with the fact that his spleen needs to go back to normal, I don't buy him on the field. I actually see him in the huddle taking snaps of the Jets. I, you know, I, it, it really depends on person to person, you know, like, who knows, maybe he is good after the bye, but I kind of find it funny that he was saying, like, I will play after week five, like, I don't know if he guaranteed his spleen will get better, otherwise, like, he shouldn't be playing football, he should be a doctor or something, because that's uh, pretty remarkable that he can say that, but it, look, I mean, the whole... What I've said, I don't know if I said it to you, but I've said it to multiple people. The only thing I truly have cared about this year is his development and if we know he is the guy going forward. And and I think it's kind of like a good silver lining from the first game that everybody thought he was so poor and was like, he had mono. So, I mean, if he's not at 100%, it kind of makes sense why some throws weren't as great as we thought they were. And maybe he, the play calling wasn't 100% on him as well, you know. Maybe if he was 100%, he would have done better, and maybe the Jets win the game. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's going on the team. He also had the whole side with Jamal Adams on following the team on social media and all that stuff. And he goes on WFN the other day. He's like, yeah, it's outside noise. And Aaron Rodgers made this great point yesterday in WFAN. He created the noise. I don't know why he's whining there, but it's all outside noise. He's the one who started this mess. I, I think he realized he did something silly. Because, I mean, he took LSU out of it. He still follows the Jets on Twitter. Because, I mean, he does like to talk a lot. He does back it up for a decent amount. But, I mean, losing weighs down on everybody. Just the name of your podcast. Just end the suffering. It has to do with, like, the teams you and I both root for over here. Um, so, I mean, look, it, it, it weighs down on a lot of people. It weighs down on us. But I'm sure Jamal will be fine. I think it's just a little stupid thing that we'll laugh at eventually. I hope so, because, I mean, I would not be happy if we see in a couple of weeks at the end of the year, like, oh, Jamal Adams wants out because he's had up Adam Gase. That would drive me insane. I mean, that would drive anybody insane. That would just prove that Adam Gase hires terrible, and then you have this whole thing with Joe Douglas, who's best friends with Adam Gase, and if they're not getting along, then you're newly hired head coach that he was friends with, and then, you know, like, Christopher Johnson loves to have the head coach and the general manager both report to him. He sees them both as equals in his eyes. Like, I mean, it's a, like it could be potentially a recipe for disaster, but, I mean, who knows? It's just two games in. Ace has been the real big issue, in my opinion. So, I mean, you can't really judge uh, Douglas yet because, of 
far as we've seen, they, he hates almost every single guy McCagnon drafted. So, um, yeah. Hey, for good reason. I mean, this group benched Tremaine Johnson because they said, you know what, he's not trying hard, and that worked great because Nate Harrison is a guy is, Joe Douglas traded for. He came and he played great Monday night. Uh, yeah, and you know what the funny thing is? I was just thinking about this of like like really bad contracts that have happening. Like this is New York's worst contract since Jason Bay. I think I think it's really that bad. And and the and the funny thing is is like Jason Bay had like a great year before he came to the Mets. Tremaine never was that elite. He never made an all-pro team. I don't even think he was a pro bowler or even a perennial pro bowler. To, to warrant the prices that he got um, just really reflected on how McCagney didn't know how to spend money. And we had a track record of that, too. So, I mean, yeah, uh, <laughs> that's another disaster in itself. Um, I don't even think they can get rid of him because there's going to be a lot of dead money that they're going to have to eat uh, if they try to, like, cut him. In the off season, so it might not be worth it. So you might be looking about at another year of Tremaine Johnson. Yeah, it's just kind of like the equivalent of the NBA, where he's like bury the guy and hope he goes away. It's sort of like what they're doing with Tremaine right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, if you're if you're earning like top ten money for a quarterback cornerback in the NFL, and you can't even start on a team that its biggest problem is cornerback on the defense, then that speaks volumes about where you are in your career and the type of production you're making. So, Yeah, typically this is the part of the podcast where you look ahead to the team's next game, but they're in New England. Luke Falk is starring. This is a loss. Let's move on. Let's get to the picks. Agreed? Agreed. <laughs> this is one of mine. Yeah, we don't, no, there's nothing to say here. They're going to lose this game. no matter what they actually lose by because this is not going to be go very well. Do you see it hitting the, the overs for 43 and a half? Does that happen with the Pats alone? Like, what would you see? I could see them getting 45. I could because Belichick hates the Jets. He'll run the score up if he can. Yeah. Oh, by the way, I hate to go off topic a little bit because, right, it's like a guaranteed loss. But isn't it funny how he's talking about how the defense is good and, you know, like these players are good, like the Jets are going to give us a problem? I think it's just such a wise-ass, backhanded compliment by him because we all know there's no competition to him. He doesn't need to make a snarky remark, in my opinion, like that. Like, we get it. You're better than the Jets. It's not a big deal, dude. Like, don't stop trying to say, like, oh, Williams and Williams was a problem, Jordan Jenkins, you know, like, Jets give us a tough game. Like, that, that, that's sort of the thing that I don't like about them at all, is that they try and muster up that they're underdogs or, you know, like, they they got to have something to motivate them. It's just, it's just so obnoxious that, it's the Jets. You're going to smack them. Luke Falk is starting. There's nothing to talk about. Yeah, I mean, that's just Belichick's way because you know he likes to needle the Jets if he can. And, I mean, this spread is just ridiculous this game. This is 23 points right now that they're in, that they're underdogs in this game, which is incredible. I I, it, I, I really don't even understand it. I, it kind of, like, even any Jets fan will tell you, like, why, why would you do that? Like, it's a guaranteed 30-point loss at least. Yeah, like, it, how much better they gonna do than Miami? Yeah, and, and Miami was home for that game. Yeah, uh, too right. Luke Falk's first start of his career. We know how Belichick in the past two against like rookie starters, even though Falk isn't like you know in the same tier like a first rounder. Um, it's really just Le'Veon Bell checkdowns with Crowder. Maybe Robbie Anderson beats somebody, but Stephon Gilmore is unreal. So I mean, again, like. You're right. There's nothing to talk about. It it should have been 30, in my opinion. 
All right, well, let's get to the picks, the reason you're here. So to reset, uh, Jersey Joe Arquino, our friend, was here last week doing the picks. He went one and two. He laid the Chargers, getting two and a half in Detroit. He lost that game, and the Chargers couldn't convert in the red zone umpteen million times. He had the Giants plus one and a half. That did not go very well either. But he did have the Falcons plus one and a half at home. Salvage of the week, so he is one and two. I went two and one on the week. I took the Patriots and all 18 and a half of those points last week against the Dolphins, and they covered that very easily. I took the mm-hmm. Cards plus 13 in Baltimore. That one was a close game. I got that one right. I had the Steelers minus four loss there because Ben got hurt. And even still, they only lost by two points, but still a loss in the Bucks. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, that's a, that's not a good week. And that Miami number is almost as ridiculous as this Pat's Jets number, too. I, I mean, uh, I don't understand that. So good on you. Yeah. <laughs> Jumping all over it. Yeah, so to recap right now, I am 4-2 and two over the first two weeks of the season. The Challengers are 3-3. Three and three. Martino, you are up first as the Challenger representative for the week, so where are you going with your first pick? Uh, like we were just talking about, Pats are just going to absolutely smack the Jets. So we'll just move on from that. I got Seattle minus 4. I really don't think that they're going to get much of the game, especially at home. We know how tough they are. And the Saints just look terrible without Teddy Bridgewater. I don't see this one being much of a game, even if they start chasing Hill there. Um, and then I think the Giants and the Daniel Jones there are going to cover. Um, plus six and a half. Uh, that's a tough, tough um, buck defense. But at the end of the day, I think there's going to be a lot of reju- rejuvenation with a young guy like Daniel Jones in there. You know, a little pep in his step gets everybody pumped up. So I think this one will actually be high scoring, but the Giants will get in there. Okay. I'm going to reset your picks here. I want to re- take a look at these here. New England minus 23, I agree with. The last three years, the Jets have been in Foxborough. The score has been 41-3 Patriots, 26-6 Patriots, 38-3 Patriots. So that number is very doable with that line. That's number one. Number two, the Seahawks. I agree the whole thing. Te- uh, Teddy Bridgewater not doing well up in Seattle. The Giant one, I'm inclined to disagree with because the defense is so, so bad for the Giants. I just think Tampa may just air it out and just put up tons of points there. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely see that happening, too. Um, but, look, at the end of the day, that that was just kind of a, a emotional pick at the end, you know? I just think Daniel Jones deserves this shot, and he's really pumped up to go in there and uh, give Tampa a hell of a game. All right, so those are your picks. I'm on the board. Pick number one, I am going with against the Dolphins again. I'm taking the Cowboys, laying 21.5 points at home against the Dolphins. This is, again, an indictment on the Dolphins. They do not look like a professional football team. They just trade another guy away. They say make a Fitzpatrick way for another first-round pick to add to the war chest as they're doing the NBA-style process where they're tanking for Tua Tagovailoa. 21.5 is not big enough. The Cowboys are a very good team. They can run the ball at will. Dak is throwing well this year. They have weapons. They have a defense. I think this could be like a 28-3 game here in, in Dallas. I'm taking the Cowboys laying all those points as kick number one. Yeah, I mean, look, even if they throw in Josh Rosen, it doesn't matter. This is a really good Cowboys defense. It could be almost as bad as last week against New England, especially in Jerry's world. I saw him got no shot. Yeah, and again, on the road. They've lost those two games 102-10 to 10 at home. Now they're on the road. It's going to get even worse. <laughs> and absolutely. Pick number two, I am going with the Indianapolis Colts, laying two at home against the Atlanta Falcons. I was not a big fan of what the Falcons did Sunday night. They had a lot of chance to blow the Eagles away. They couldn't do it. Matt Ryan threw three picks in that game. 
They got bailed out because Julio Jones took one 54 yards to the house in the last minute. The Colts have been playing very well the first two weeks. They took the Chargers to overtime, nearly won that game. They beat the Titans on the road last week. They come home now, they get the Falcons, who, again, very inconsistent team. I like the Colt D. I like Jacoby Brissett making enough plays in this game. I take the Colts in the two. I think they're going to win that game outright. Yeah, again, I think Falcons have a little tougher time on the road for sure. I think the Colts are a lot more underrated than people think just because of the Andrew Luck-Jacoby Brissett situation. But I think Jacoby is capable enough to cover that number for sure. All right, that's pick number two. Pick number three, I'm picking this one just because the line is ridiculous in this one. And that is on Sunday Night Football, I'm taking the Rams laying three in Cleveland. We watched the Browns Monday night. I don't know how they're only three-point underdogs against the Rams because I get this row game, but the Rams, two weeks in a row, look pretty good, and they beat up the Panthers in Carolina. They destroyed the Saints without Breeze. The Browns were pathetic against the Jets on Monday night and won that game because the Jets were worse than them. The fact that they are only laying three points, I love the Rams. I love that number. I think they're going to embarrass the Browns in Cleveland. Give me the Rams there, laying the three. Yeah, I think, I think that's a great pick as well. Sean McVay versus Freddie Kitchens. I don't think there's anything else left to say there, right? I think Freddie just didn't deserve that job, and I don't think he's handling it well. And Sean McVay's just going to tear apart that defense. There might be a couple of playmakers there, but I don't think they got a shot. Yeah, plus, as we mentioned before, Baker Mayfield struggled against a Greg Williams defense that had no C.J. Mosley, no corners, no pass rush with putting Williams out. Imagine what the Rams and Wade Phillips will do with a bunch of healthy players on the field. I mean, exactly, and and not even to mention that. I don't know how they're just going to stop the firepower on the offense. I mean, they're just so completely loaded, and I think Jared Goff is going to have a field day. All right, so reset the picks for the week. Martino's taking the Patriots, laying all 23 of those points against the Jets at home. The Seahawks minus four at home against Teddy Bridgewater and the Saints. And the Giants with Daniel Jones, plus six and a half in Tampa against the Buccaneers. I am taking the Dallas Cowboys, laying 21 and a half points, picking against the Dolphins once again. The Colts minus two at home against Atlanta. And the Rams get laying three in Cleveland on Sunday Night Football. Those are your picks for week number three on the Just and the Suffering podcast. Martino, thanks for stopping by. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I talked a little baseball earlier on the show. The Mets season pretty much over at this point, so... You're a big Mets guy. What's your big takeaway from the Mets season? You still think you still think it's over? The math says it's over. The math doesn't say it's over because they're not eliminated yet. It, the math is very hard. Five percent chance, basically, is what it is. Right? Isn't it? The okay, outside. and it's five. It's five percent. Look, I mean, I think I think the Brewers ended up winning today. They just jumped ahead of Philly. They got to go in, beat the Reds. Beat the Marlins, obviously, easier said And I like their chances at home against the Braves, only because the Braves really don't have much to play for, right? They're just going to have to clinch the division. Um, I think it's obvious they're going to get home field over whoever wins the Central. Um, look, I mean, if they're sitting some of their guys, like Freddie Freeman, who kills the Mets all the time, you get Acuna not in there, I think they have an outside chance. But... Real quick, I got a question for you. Do you think that Grom has a chance for back-to-back at Youngs? Because he's he's slowly creeping up, and I think he's really got a shot. He gets two more really good starts in him. I do think he has a shot at it, just because, I mean, you look at what happened this year where Young Jin Ru was so great the first half. He stung for most of the second. The Grom's been consistent all the way through. And, again, they gave him a side last year with 10 wins on the Mets. So if he gets a couple more again, I think he has a great shot to repeat it. Yeah, I mean, Scherzer, Scherzer missed a month and a half as well. Even a guy like Soroka, 
Kershaw, I don't see that either. You know, I just I just don't see it happening. If Jake does again what he needs to do, you know, a good like seven innings, one earned run or less, I mean Scherzer just had another stinker of a start. I mean, it's kind of I, – I think he's really in, slightly in pole position to win this thing. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. And just to go ahead, Sam, next week on the picks, a new voice on the podcast next week, uh, Troy Moriello, a Cowboy fan, will be here doing the picks next week. Martino, thanks for stopping by. Before I let you go, do everybody know how to follow you on social media? Yeah, you can just follow me on Twitter, at Puccio. Hopefully, very soon, I am finishing up the editing on the Mariano thing that you so kindly dropped and referred to all the time. So I feel like I owe it to you to tell you when it's going to be done. So it'll be done within uh, the coming week. So it'll be definitely exciting to put out there. Yeah, and when, when it's done, I look forward to seeing it and having you back on to discuss it. Yes, sounds great. All right, that was Martina Puccio with the NFL Picks for Week 3. Up next, this week's two-minute drill. And do a film review on the latest 30 for 30 film, Rodman, for better or worse, right after this. All right, we are back with this week's two-minute drill. We're doing a Phillips film review of the latest entry in the 30 for 30 film series. It aired last Tuesday, September 10th. It was Rodman, for better or worse. Basically, a journey into the life story of the enigmatic NBA superstar, Dennis Rodman. And this film, my gosh, it hooked me from the start. I mean, compared to the last one, I mean, we talked in the summer about The Good, The Bad, and The Hungry, the uh, movie about Joey Chestnut and uh, Kobayashi. That one was such a chore to get through. This one, from the jump, you're just, like, hooked in because the stories you were getting about Dennis Rodman's background, my God, they were so compelling. It was awesome to listen to some of these things. I mean, let me give you a few examples here. I mean, number one, we know... Dennis Rodman's nickname is The Worm. You know how he got the nickname The Worm? The film reveals that he got the nickname The Worm because he was an outsider in high school. He played a lot of pinball. And the arcade owner basically said he played pinball like a worm. And that's where the nickname came from. That's pretty cool. Another interesting storyline is when he was a, when he was a teenager, Robin worked at an airport and... He was just trying to fit in. He was trying to make himself feel like a part of like the high school clique because he didn't really fit in in high school. So he worked in an airport. He stole some watches and just gave them away to people he wanted to make friends. Literally, he stole watches from the airport and just gave them away to people hoping they would become friends with him. That was interesting. Another interesting thing was after he goes to college, he ends up goes this whole saga where... He has a delayed start to his post-high school life because he's not really motivated to go to school. His mom kicks him out of the house a couple of times. He lives on the streets for a while. Ends up catching the attention of a coach at Southeast Oklahoma. When he goes to Southeast Oklahoma, he's working a basketball camp. He befriends a 13-year-old kid 
who was attending this camp, the kid had accidentally killed his friend in a hunting accident. And this kid bonded with Rodman, and they became best friends for Rodman's tenure at Southeast Oklahoma. That story was incredible, and the film is littered with stories like that. And they basically take you through his NBA career. You get the the piston years with the bad boys. You get commentary from guys like Isaiah, Isaiah Thomas, John Sally, Bill Lambeer, that crew. You get the Bull years. You get a little bit of Phil Jackson. You get Michael Jordan talking about him, and that's a rarity because Michael Jordan does not do many films. I know they probably got him because they're doing a 30 for 30 on the last Bull team. That's probably where a lot of this footage came from, but super cool to hear Michael Jordan talk about Dennis Rodman. And the visual style on this thing was pretty cool because when you're watching a documentary, a lot of times it's, you know, the standard, here's some footage, here's an interview, here's some still photos, mix that up, kind of, that's the documentary. This was directed by Jamie Foxx, the executive producer on this, and they did some trippy visual sequences where they kind of put you as the viewer in the mode of Rodman through like an avatar and there was one sequence towards the end where you're basically going through Rodman's lifestyle with the Bulls where he's partying going to sleep going to practice the Bulls going to the game partying just looping on repeat very cool visually I very like this much like this I love this film and I admit I watched this late at night I had it on DVR I watched the Mets win a game that was shocking but besides the point I put this on about like 10.30. I'm usually put it on like, oh, okay, I watch 10 minutes, go to sleep. And it just kept me awake. I was just so invested. I'm like, this is cool. This is a really good story, and I'm really invested in it. So in terms of the grade, I give it an A. I think you should definitely check out the Dennis Rodman 30 for 30. It's a must-watch in my opinion. Far better than the last one, The Good, The Bad, and The Hungry. And hopefully they have more good ones like this coming down the pipe. And that will do it for this week's show. I want to thank my guests, Anthony Sorbolini, for stopping by to talk baseball as part of the Baseball Beat, and Martino Puccio for calling in to do the week three picks in Show Me the Money. If you want more good stuff like this podcast, including my instant reaction to the Jets' disastrous performance on Monday Night Football and my take on the Giants going to Daniel Jones, check out our blog over at justandthesuffering.wordpress.com. Feel free to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Simply search for Just End the Suffering on any of those platforms, and you will find the episodes there. Feel free to leave your feedback and star ratings in order to help make this podcast even better going forward. You can also follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And tweet me at the hashtag consistency. Again, hashtag consistency. And here's the end of this week's show. Next week, we are going to do our NHL season preview. Hockey season's coming up, folks. Can you believe that? It's almost time for the NHL. That means Pete Considori will be in the studio next week. We are going to break down the locals, look at some big headlines, make some predictions for who's going to hoist the Stanley Cup this year. We're also going to do week four NFL picks and more. Until then, I hope you have a better week than Jets fans. Ah,